Catholic deacons and priests aren't called to preach a message. They're called to preach a person, Jesus Christ. And that preaching is at the very heart of the new evangelization. Join us today as we discuss what it means to preach Jesus with special guest Deacon Larry Oney, founder of the Hope and Purpose Ministries and the author of Preaching Jesus in the Time of the New Evangelization. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Today we'll be talking with our special guest, Deacon Larioni, about the preaching. I'm joined here in our studios with our regular guests and panelists, um, uh, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology. Welcome you back uh, to the program for a little, little break. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, again here at uh, Franciscan University, and uh, Deacon Larioni, welcome to the show. It is good to have you here. You're the president of Hope and Purpose uh, Ministries. You're ordained a, a deacon in the Catholic Church for the Archdiocese of New Orleans. Um, you are the author of four books, including what we'll be talking about today, Preaching Jesus in the Time of the New Evangelization. Uh, you're also, uh, you know, your, your sideline job, the one that pays the bills, <laughs> right. uh, chairman of the board uh, for HG, uh, HGI Global, and you and your wife, Andy, are just outside of New Orleans. Uh, so it is, welcome to Steubenville, welcome to our program. With Thank five you very kids, much. too. Yes. Yeah, that's right. right. That's right. That's exactly. That's why we keep the day job. That's right. right. Yeah, someone's exactly. got to, you know, you're, you're, you're making tents there, as well as preaching the word. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, it is great to have you. And you're also a member of the Board of Trustees uh, for yes. Franciscan, uh, which, is, which is a great honor for us. Um, so in the book here, we're, we're talking about preaching, preaching Jesus. Right. Um, uh, we've been talking about the new evangelization. The popes have been calling for a new evangelization. Uh, put it in the context for us. What, what does preaching have to do uh, in the context of the new evangelization? Well, from my perspective and from the perspective of this book that Father Maestri and I wrote together, uh, preaching is everything. It's really the capstone of the new evangelization. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 10 really summarizes it. How can the people hear unless there's a preacher? How can the preacher preach unless he's sent? That really is what we're trying to get to and talk about the heart of the preacher and the difficulty it is to preach in the culture that we live in today. But still we're called to preach. And I believe that there can be no new evangelization without preaching. That's why the three popes have talked about the need for better preaching. Yeah, amen, amen. Yeah. And, and I know the book, uh, although is open and, and applicable to anybody, there's a, there's a heart for, for deacons and priests, those who are, are called to that preaching ministry. Yes. Uh, so. Uh, how important, as we, as we talk about um, uh, preaching, how important is it for a, a preacher to know his audience or to, to know uh, even the context upon which uh, he's preaching? Well, I think that's a big deal, I mean, to know who you're preaching to. For example, we just had a lot of historic flooding uh, down in Louisiana and certain parts of the state uh, not long ago. Uh, no need, everybody understands the whole idea of the suffering that comes along with 100,000 homes being flooded. And certainly the whole nation knew about Katrina. Uh, and, and, but but this, is a this is applicable for any part of the world or the country you're preaching. Uh, for example, uh, in uh, Africa, I was preaching in West Africa once, and 
I, I didn't really understand who I was preaching to and the culture of the people. I, I asked for a fork and I realized that, wait a minute, there are no forks here. Everybody <laughs> eats with their, with their fingers. Uh, I needed to understand that uh, the, the, the poverty that most of us are not used to is actually present there in those people. So I have to speak to them and preach the word to them in a way that in context of where they actually live every day. Yeah. And, and if you look at the Catholic Church today, uh, could you give me a sense or uh, kind of the spirit of the age, if you will, as we look at the Catholic Church, what would you see in, in the context of preaching? What does that look like today in our church? Well, I, I think if you, if you talk to the people in the pews, they, there's, there's hope for uh, a preaching that's relevant to what's going on in people's lives. I mean, people are stressed out. They, they have a lot going on. They want the information fast. We know that information is much increased even now and look like it's getting faster and faster. But I think people want hopeful preaching. They want something that's relevant to what's going on in their lives right now. So we have to preach in the context of where people are. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I don't want to be too contentious uh, too sure. early on. We've just begun. <laughs> uh, but it would seem to me that more relevant than asking what is this audience like is to ask who has sent me uh, and whom am I preaching? And I think that's really the centerpiece of your book. And I, I expect the apostolate that you have embraced. You are preaching Christ. Absolutely. Uh, himself. Absolutely. And he sent you to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Paul embraces that where he says, I've resolved to preach Christ and him crucified. That's, that's the central part. And I think it's the, it's the message for the whole church. What else is there if it's not right. Christ? Right. And crucified. Because yeah. if, if that didn't happen and he didn't get, if he didn't, if he wasn't raised from the dead, then we're all wasting time here and everywhere else. And in a certain sense, that's a message that's never timely because it's the foolishness of the cross, it's the foolishness of preaching, and yet it's the thing that the Holy Spirit has decided to use in spite of all the technologies that, I mean, we can use technology, we can use, resort to Gutenberg and the, and the book, but when we read the book in Galatians 3, we discover that faith comes by hearing, yes. not by reading. That's right. We read that, you know, <laughs> but we're supposed to hear. And so the preaching of the gospel is the very instrument that continues the incarnation because when Jesus was here, besides the healing ministry, it was really focused on proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. That's right. Amen. And when you think about our world, how broken and how uh, uh, diffused it is, you know, you talked about technology. I, I feel like we have so much coming at us all over the place. And when you think about preaching, the, the word, I mean, it's almost ancient, <laughs> you know, we're reading it. It's we're, not low tech, it's no tech. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so you, 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 yeah, you're, yeah. the context of preaching today is in a world saturated with technology, saturated with information. You, you, I mean, you talk about in the book how we probably have a more, uh, at least so far as information, more educated people people in the pews than ever before, but there still isn't a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Uh, and, and at the heart of the message you're having is that we've got to break through that. Right. Um, you know, and so as you, as you look at preaching uh, in this very cluttered world, very distracted world, um, you know, how, do, how does a preacher you break through? How do, how do you look at that and say, uh, this world that's so broken, so lost, and so out there, no. What do we have to offer? They, they think they've got all the answers. Right. In, in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yes. right. Well, that's more than the sound bites we have. That's part of the problem, though, yeah. doctor. I mean, right. you know, now in 64, the sound bite was a minute or so. Now the sound bite is around eight seconds. So 30 seconds is a lifetime in terms of getting a message across. But that's the challenge. But unless the preaching, apostolic preaching, and a deacon and priest, we should be preaching with apostolic authority yeah. and conviction. Right. And I think that's what's missing. And I know some will 
will be offended by saying, well, we should preach with more apostolic authority and more anointing. But that is the power because when preaching, the, the event of preaching happens, the Holy Spirit is at work not just in the preacher, but it's, He's at work in the hearers mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So preparing their heart to receive the Word. So it's a powerful thing, but the preaching needs to be done under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's that, what's missing. I want to underscore that because, I mean, sometimes a preacher is anointed and doesn't know it. Other times a preacher is not anointed and they know it. <laughs> and I would say, you know, if, if a preacher who is not anointed goes for eight minutes, it can feel like more than an hour. Whereas if somebody has the Holy Spirit, who is the one who is really bringing Jesus to the hearts and the minds of the people, then eight minutes might not be enough. I know, you know, the Vatican and others have come out by saying, you know, attention spans under 10 minutes and all of the rest. But there are parts of the world and there are times in history where 10 minutes you were just getting started because the Holy Spirit is the one. And, and so while you can take your bearings from the bishop who says eight minutes, nine or whatever, nevertheless, I do think that his boss is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well said. I mean, but in addition uh, to having this uh, anointing from on high, which charges every moment with a kind of kairos, you have to remember the context. Uh, this is the setting of the church, the right. believing yes. church, the yeah. body, the bride, who wrote this book. Yes. Uh, and, and you're not preaching in your name only, but in the name of the church, uh, wedded to Jesus Christ. Amen. But you're right, you've got to deal with the distractions out there, and they're, they're myriad. Uh, the, the great actor Ralph Richardson uh, was once asked, how do you make the stage production work? And he said, what the actor has to do is prevent the audience from coughing. And what you have to do is to keep them from texting. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's right. That's, that's even harder. That's a challenge. It is. How do you do that? Well, with much difficulty, but with total dependence upon God. No question about it, there are people engaged with their cell phones and they're texting, yeah. and some are reading the scripture uh, uh, on their phones as, you're, as they're reading, the, the readings are being read. Yeah. But in the environment, particularly in liturgical preaching, uh, I think most people miss the first part of the meal. I mean, we have the liturgy of the Word, and everybody's waiting, well, let's get to the Eucharist, which is obviously very important. It's a source and summit of our faith. But the meal consists of eating the Word and eating the lamb as well. But, but Both tables. Absolutely, absolutely. I think what we have to do, again, it has to go back to the preparation of the preacher and also an understanding of where are the people, where are the people, and what has God said to say. So it's a, it's a, it's a it, and every preacher has to approach the pulpit with fear and trembling. Right, it's an right. awesome thing to preach. Yeah. Teachers have a higher charge. Right. Not many of you should be teachers, but to preach is, is an equally high you charge. You know, Origen says it is a very dangerous thing to talk about God. Amen. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Stick of dynamite, he'll blow up in your face. In our world, though, it's more dangerous not to talk about right. God. <laughs> We're going to perpetuate the malaise of, right. of, of right. malice and evil and, and ignorance. Yeah. You know, I, I, what I like about the book especially is that it's, it's preaching Jesus in the time of the new evangelization. Yes. Mm. And you get that sense that the new evangelization is very specifically about re-evangelizing the de-Christianized. And so even if you're preaching in the church, at the Mass, the fact is the majority of those Catholics need to be re-evangelized. I mean, even if they think they're kind of in step with the church, nevertheless, they're also a part of our culture, yes. which makes this imperative in a way that 50 years ago, I don't think anybody could imagine. I agree. I mean, it's very, it, it, this happens in liturgical preaching, but also outside of the church setting of the Mass, but particularly liturgical preaching. When there is a connection with the people, there's this, you, you can't go strictly by the reviews you get after, but there's a sense of a solidarity that happens 
in the preaching where you know you connect it with uh, the majority of those present there. It's hard to describe, but when it happens, you know it. Uh, and some of it is articulated after, but it's really the spirit in the preacher and the spirit in the people. Uh, it, there's a connection, there's a coming together and know that uh, the message was proclaimed and it was heard. Yeah. That doesn't happen every time, but it ought to be the goal that we ought to have. Yeah. Trying to preach that message right. where the people are, that it's received, and that the Holy Spirit actually is the one who's giving the increase, if there is an increase from where the people are, to move them right. to do something, to embrace and then to act. And that, and that should be the expectation, really, as you're preaching. Yes. Which, which sadly, you know, not to do any uh, uh, full analysis of, of preaching in the, in the world today. But I, I think every, every person who sits in a congregation realizes there's a lot of bad preachers out there. Good men, uh, good priests, good deacons, but there's a lot of uh, lacking in, in our, our, our current status of preaching. Today. Absolutely, and, and, and again, this is not an indictment of preachers. Preaching is hard, but it's absolutely necessary. Paul put it out there. How can the people hear unless there's a preacher? And how can the preacher preach unless he's been called and, I think and sent? You know, I, I'm thinking that there are very few items in a priest or deacon's schedule more important than preaching and preparation for yeah, the preaching. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, I've spent more than 10 years teaching part-time at various seminaries. And so the question that I'm always hearing from seminarians as I'm teaching the Gospels is, you know, how do I preach? You know, how, what, you know? And what I try to emphasize is who. And not only because it's Jesus you're preaching and by the power of the Spirit, but I also think it's important for us as Catholics to avoid the personality cults yeah. out there that, you know, preachers suddenly build megachurches. You know, that's, there's really no room for that in the Catholic world. On the other hand, there is room for spiritual paternity, for mentoring. And I think that's what's sadly lacking in many places, in entire dioceses. And so more than just how you organize or prepare a sermon, you know, what it is you do, it's who has shaped you. Like Paul shaped Timothy and Titus and others. He was a spiritual father. And I think you are that to many others as well. And that's what we need to see multiplied, that kind of mentoring so that people know how to preach because of the way that they have been preached and touched Absolutely. by it. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, at, at, at the margin, you can't give what you haven't got. That's yeah. right. And if you're That's not right. filled with Christ, overflowing Absolutely. with His saving word, you have nothing to say, Absolutely. nothing to impart. This reality we have to deal with, we're, 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 there are some people who think the four-minute homily is a beautiful thing, and they love to go to Father's Mass because Father is going to preach four minutes. That's right. And these, these lowly deacons, they might go seven or eight minutes, and I don't have the time <laughs> for that. But it is a difficult thing, but really, uh, I think that we can do better than what we're doing now. So the, I think the people are... They're they, longing they, they, for it. They are longing yeah, for yeah. it, and that's what you hear. Yeah. That's what you hear. And, th and that, is, that is what our world needs. You know, as, as Roman says, you know, faith comes from hearing. And if we mm -hmm. don't hear it preached, if we don't hear it proclaimed with ardor and method and all of those things, right. but it's, it's the passion and the ardor uh, of our faith. Yes. That's, that's powerful. I, you know, I, I think the two bookends ought to be John, in the beginning was the Word, mm. and then Paul. Faith comes from what is heard. Mm. And they do have the merit of rhyming. Yeah. as well. <laughs> but in between those two bookends, that's where you uh, fit, where you maneuver. Yeah. Yes. You draw from the Word uh, and they have to hear it. Yes. It has to resonate. Amen, amen. Uh, stay with us for the next yeah. segment uh, on preaching uh, the new, in the new evangelization. What's the measure of effective preaching? I would say, did it change lives? 
Homilies are meant to be relevant to the people to whom we are preaching, but relevance isn't enough. Does the word I speak speak to the heart of the individual? Does it call forth action? The individual should be saying, did the words I hear challenge me to change the way I live my life? Am I motivated to live the central gospel message, to repent and reform my life? If the answer is yes, I would say the preaching is effective. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, we've been talking about preaching Jesus in the time of the new evangelization with our special guest, Deacon Larioni. Um, Deacon, uh, when we talk about preaching, what are some of the good characteristics? What are the characteristics of a good preacher, I should say? Michael, uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux said that uh, humility is one of the great cardinal virtues. I mean, the, the top three, and the second <laughs> one is humility, and the third is humility. A preacher should be humble because it's an awesome task to stand at the ambo and to preach the Word of God. That's a lot to put on your shoulders. It really is. I mean, thinking that you're going to speak to the people and to yourself. Yeah. And every preacher should, uh, uh, a characteristic is that uh, first should open themselves up to be preached to, because the first person who hears mm -hmm. the words of the yeah. preacher is the preacher. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, humility is one, but preparation. I think that's one of the great weaknesses that we have because uh, the, the priests who administer the parishes uh, are so, I mean, these are, these are small businesses in a lot of ways. Right. So now they've got the pressure of running, the, doing the administration, and there's a little time left after hearing confessions, then I have to preach the Word of God. It's a difficult task. Yeah. I think we need a rearrangement. Uh, I know some bishops might not like this idea, but we need a rearrangement of pushing down some of the administrative duties to other people so mm -hmm. that the people can hear the Word of God. So preparation, there's no shortcut to preaching. Yeah. You have to have time to wrestle with the Word of God, to yes. listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing, That's and to just let it resonate in you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, a lovely Portuguese proverb about how God writes straight with crooked, crooked lines. lines. Yeah. He speaks uh, straight through broken voices, right. broken cisterns, uh, and we're all pretzels uh, and <laughs> you know, bent, misshapen, but somehow there's grace that acts as a kind of therapeutic agent that sets everything straight. Yes. And I like uh, your seizing upon humility as the defining virtue. Uh, it reminds me of, of that wonderful passage from T.S. Eliot, uh, the only wisdom we can hope to acquire is the wisdom of humility. Mm. Humility is endless. I mean, you pursue it for its own sake and you never come to an end of it. The only problem with it is that it's an objective criterion, <laughs> but it doesn't allow you to kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm humble enough <laughs> to go out there. I've made and preach. It Subjectively, I think the preacher has to understand that humility is going to be a byproduct of a life centered on prayer, mm. first and foremost. Yes. And then because of the nature of the task, he's got to study. 
and not just deliver from hand to mouth so that you're only studying what you'll turn around and preach, but create a reservoir so that through prayer and study, you have stored up so much that people will sense this is the overflow. There's a lot more where that came oh, from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I also think the third thing is penance. That is finding little mortifications that no one will notice. And also finding things that you know you need because you're never going to, I mean, you're going to be preaching and so it'll be informative. It will also transform the people, but you will never perfectly conform yourself to the message. And so you're going to always be discovering that the sword of the Spirit cuts not only through them, but through yourself yes, as well. Right. Yes. And you've got to let it. You've got to let it. And I think when you quote the great Cistercian Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, I think he is a guiding light. I mean, I, you're hard pressed to come up with anybody better than him yeah. Yeah. because of the emphasis on love and humility and how he was used by God through preaching especially to bring such deep renewal. But I mean, there are men like that in every age and we have to find them in order to do to be truly mentored and mentor those who are going to be coming up from the ranks, as it were. Yes. You know, it, it seems to me that uh, the preacher is very much like a teacher. I don't want to puff up myself as a professor, but in a way, I'm preaching. Uh, it's just that you, the real preacher, you've got better material. You, you draw <laughs> upon God's Word. Yeah. I have to sort of make it up as I go along, but, but there is a touchstone. I have to reference the truth. As I, as, I, as I perceive it, as it is given to me to know. And, and so that's an awesome responsibility. And you can't do it if, if you just wing it. You can't uh, improvise as you're walking into the classroom. You've got to have something to draw upon. And I think the preacher especially has to steep himself, not just in God's Word, but in a great many secondary pieces of literature as well that surround and penetrate and enrich his understanding of that word. He needs to read and to think about what he's reading, and he needs to pray, a kneeling theology, as yes. Balthazar would say. Yeah. Yes. Then when he gets up off his knees, then he might have something worthwhile to say. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When you think of the, the humility and the preparation, that's prayer, study, reflection, that deep reservoir that they're drawing upon. Um, can preaching uh, be taught? Uh, you know, can this be passed on? Is this, is, is this something that, that uh, is caught or taught? <laughs> well, I, I'm sure the, the, the great uh, uh, teachers and theologians you have around you here, uh, two, of, two great ones, may disagree with me, but I really think you have to be called. I, I lean to St. Paul. St. Paul says, how can the preacher preach unless he's been called to preach? Mm. Now, of course, we know that the church helps to discern that call in deacons and, and priests. Yes. I think it's a little fuzzy with, with priests. So every deacon doesn't have faculties to preach, so I think it's a little bit more pointed with deacons, but priests, by his, nat his nature, uh, is, right. has the faculty to preach. Uh, of course, that's not so in every instance, but generally that is. But I really believe that it has to be a calling there. And yeah. the church has a great role in helping to discern that call. Mm. So, so more important than it, the, the being instructed, you have to be called. Well, 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 to Scott's point, I mean, you certainly have to study. Oh, oh yeah, and to, yeah, yeah. And, and to Reese's point, we have to uh, read uh, great men and women who have written and have insights about life that help us to preach. But I think there has to be a calling. Yeah, you know, that's powerful. You know, and your point is double-sided because on the one side, that's the, there's the interior calling of the Holy Spirit, without which... You know, there's right. just no point. On the other hand, there's the exterior calling from the bishop, yes, as well as the priest. This is where spiritual direction is such an important, you know, it's such an important yes. tool in that mm. discernment of a calling, where people 
get to know you and see, okay, are you growing in conformity to what it is you would end up being preached, you know, preaching? You know, I, I think about the question that you raised, though, Michael, and I think back to my seminary, and I had uh, two professors who taught homiletics. They were fine men. Right. They were good professors. This is before you entered the Catholic. That's right. I was I was a <laughs> Protestant minister, and I went to a Protestant seminary, which is known, of course, for great preaching. Right. But the professors of homiletics uh, were underwhelming, uh, at least to some of us, to, to many of us. And so, you know, in high school, I had R.C. Sproul and others, and in college and beyond, I had others too. And Gordon Hugenberger, these men, I, I, I know I sounded like them. People who knew them and heard me were like, uh-huh. You know, it's a lot like yeah. father-son you yeah. know, connection. And that's what I mean by mentoring, yes. apprenticeship. You know, because it can be taught up to a point, right. but much more is caught than taught. Yes. Precisely by hearing someone. You know, I remember hearing priests describe how Fulton Sheen was like a watering hole that they would go back to, to drink from, mm -hmm. in order to really get inspired to preach. You've got to find those kinds of watering holes today. Right. You know, Bishop Robert Barron, for example, Word yeah. on Fire is a right. good example. Yeah. But that's where it's caught. In addition to being taught, it's a kind of one hand washing the other. I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Good preachers need to hear good preaching. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things we can use, here's where technology can play a part, Michael. I think yeah. we need to make sure that we uh, record uh, uh, the seminarians so they can see, but also we need to put them in front of good preaching so they can yeah. catch the... So they can be nourished by it, but also see how right. model themselves. Mentor. But not to mimic, but yeah. certainly get a sense of, well, this is what good preaching is all about. And the Holy Spirit conforms and shapes the preacher with their style and the way they do it. I use the Augustinian style, that is when you preach, you should teach, you should delight, and you should persuade. But that's that's my style. Yeah. But, but, but everybody has to find their own sense of uh, what does God call them to and how they will preach. Right. I mean, there, there are any number of rhetorical tricks, I'm, I'm sure, and I'll bet you deploy them with some <laughs> adroitness. But unless you've got the fire in the belly, uh, yeah. you know, ignited there by the Holy Ghost, uh, it's going to be a washout, yeah. a dead letter. And I've, I've heard those homilies, and they're dreadful. Yeah. And I, I like to just go back to one point you made about the, uh, uh, that you as a deacon are, or chosen to have or, or were, were discerned by the church to have the faculties for preaching where priests in general have it now as part of their nature. But that wasn't always the case, I think, in the history of the church. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe priests in days gone by, a diocesan priest wouldn't actually have the faculties to preach where some of the orders, Franciscans, Dominicans, would have those faculties. And, you know, and so I think there is a, a challenge today that we just say everybody uh, can, and not everybody necessarily is called to necessarily be That's preachers. You know, I mean, there's, there's challenges there. So when you think of a preacher, though, um, what are some of the temptations that they would necessarily need to guard themselves against? As they're, you know, we're, we're talking about humility, we're talking about preparation, we're talking about uh, a, deep, a deep well of spiritual life. What are some of the temptations that they might have to confront to guard themselves against? Well, the call to personality, I think. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Dr. Scott alluded to that. It certainly can happen. I mean, you, I was in Brazil uh, a couple of years ago preaching to 100,000 people. Uh, and uh, Just a normal congregation. Normal, normal congregation. <laughs> and, and of course, the response, uh, uh, you know, in strictly human terms is a good response. I don't speak Portuguese, but the interpreter is doing it. But you're still getting a response back. Yes. It certainly can make you feel like, wow, I'm doing this. This is my own energy. Right. This yeah. is me. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. So very quickly, though. Uh, you need that time to come down and to uh, be by yourself and 
get back to reality that, no, it's not about you. So yeah. very easy to slip there. Now, we, in, in, in the Catholic Church, uh, there's a lot more, uh, uh, you, you, we have a bishop yeah, uh, yeah. And, and a pastor. Uh, so we have that order, that hierarchical order to protect somewhat from that, but it still can happen. Right, right, right. To keep a deacon in check, but then, you know, sometimes it doesn't. I can't them. imagine talking to 100,000 people at once. <laughs> Did anybody cough? Uh, no, they, they listen uh, very, very, very quietly and they praise very loudly. Well, also too, like in, in you've shared with me in the past, in some of the places you've been, the, the preaching is expected to be 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Well, yeah, it, it, on the continent of Africa, uh, they said, well, you know, Deacon, you know, we have a, don't go too long. We have a lot of bishops here and we have a priest here, but you have an hour and 15 minutes, but if you need more, we can work it out. It's an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. not the eight minute homily you're used to in here. No, no, but they, 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 it depends on the culture, but they are very much, they feel like uh, you've shorted them if you only give them 20 minute of preaching. And they want to be nourished. And they do. traveled oftentimes long distances to get there. I want to underscore Absolutely. this because you can really judge whether someone's a spiritual infant or adolescent or adult by their appetite. <laughs> the fact is people don't want much because they're little. Yeah. You know, and I know it's a general rule of thumb, leave them wanting more, but not more of you, more of Jesus, mm, yeah. more of the Word of God. Amen. And I, I, I see people who you know, in cultures like Haiti and Nigeria and elsewhere, you know, where there's a hunger for the Word of God, there's a humility, and yet there's a joy that's effervescent. Yeah. And it's just, it's just constantly growing. And, and to me, that's a telltale sign that the Holy Spirit has been work for a long time. And so if you go 45 minutes, you know, and step down, they're going to want more yes. of Jesus, more of Scripture, you know, but it's a good thing to leave them to wanting more, yeah. you know. Or in our hearts burning within yeah. us. I mean, yes. that's the kind of yes. preaching. She could have gone on for another 10 miles. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I mean, what's really problematic uh, in, in the contemporary context is the notorious attention span of most Americans. I mean, they probably would have slept through the Sermon on the Mount. It was <laughs> too long. Yeah. I mean, can't you give us a praisey? Yeah. Put it in a text. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go to that for a second. Uh, what can lay, uh, lay members do to encourage, to support, to help uh, our preachers? What, what, is there a role that we can have? I don't know, I don't, I don't throw it on a well, sideball. I, I, I think one is pray for the preacher. Okay. I always tell people, look, you don't like the preaching that you're getting? Pray for better preaching. Start to pray right. specifically for the, mm -hmm. for the priest and for the deacon who preaches to you. Yeah. Pray and ask that they would be, there'd be more anointing that, and, and also pray that your ears would be anointed by God to hear. Yeah. Because remember the Holy Spirit is at work in the preacher and in the hear. But also when people say, well, we love Father because he only goes four and a half minutes. Right. Well, challenge them, witness that I want more than four and a half minutes. You know, you ask for it. I think if you try to persuade people that, that God from all eternity was orchestrating this one homily mm. for you, He's got something to tell you. Uh, so listen, you know, shut up already <laughs> right. and let Him speak to you through this very poor instrument of, uh, of the preacher. Yes. Yeah. I think the lay people, I think the lay has a role, no question about it. Excellent. Excellent. So pray, encourage, right. speak up, ask for it. I mean, you know, right. we, don't, we don't have because we don't ask. And turn your phone off too. And don't yeah. text. <laughs> well, and also too, just praying, recognizing that the, the action of the Holy Spirit is alive. And when you're responding, we are a community. Yes. You know, and, and that, yes. That I think you have to keep your expectations realistic too. I, I have assured all the
the homeless I listen to, I never criticize. I'm there as a beggar looking for a scrap of bread and I've right. never gone without. Mm. Yeah. 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 Amen. Stay with us for the next segment of Franciscan University Presents. For me, the homily is truly a gift of the priesthood. To pro proclaim the Word of God in the lives of our people is such a gift and seeing it come to life. And in that, there's really a sacred trust that's given, a trust of the church at my ordination to bring forth the Word in the life of the people, the Word of God, and see it come to life for them. And even to be trusted by Jesus with His own words, His own teachings, His law, and His life, and to bring that forth in a fruitful way in the life of His people. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University. We're recording it right now in our communication arts studio. Our students are operating the camera and equipment here. Our, our regular uh, panelists are theology professors here at the university. We've been talking about um, the book Preaching Jesus in the Times of the New Evangelization uh, by <coughs> Father uh, Mastry and Deacon Larioni. Did I get his name right? That's okay, good. good enough. Enough. Okay. Um, so we, we've been talking about preaching in the time of the New Evangelization. Uh, we've talked about the kind of the context in the church. Uh, we've talked about the, uh, the preacher uh, themselves a little bit. Um, so what's at the very heart and center uh, of preaching? Well, Jesus has to be at the heart and center. Yeah. I mean, just as the book says, yeah. you know, preaching Jesus in the time of the new evangelization. It, it seems very simple, but it's very powerful that we have to get back to the core of what is all preaching all about. Yeah. It's about the person of Christ, about His life, His death, His burial, and His glorious resurrection. I mean, that's what it's all about, and His second coming. If, if that's not it, I, again, I hate to go back to Paul again. Paul says, I resolved to preach Christ and Him yeah. crucified. And we have to get back to that because there's power in that message. There's power in the message of what Christ did upon the earth. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And there's too many people um, who sadly miss that sometimes. It just seems missing sometimes in, in action uh, from our preaching. Uh, well, his, 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 Christ in His salvific work is the story. That is the storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the trouble is a great number of people think they can make it without Him. Yeah. Yeah. On their uh, own effort. Salvation is a self-help uh, enterprise, a kind of practical yes. Pelagianism. I mean, Augustine had to deal with that in yes. the last uh, years of his life, convulsed by that controversy with the Pelagians, who believed that were somehow saved by the example of Jesus. And Augustine said, no, that's the secret poison of your doctrine. We're not saved by his example. We're saved by his person. Yes, that's right. And that's who we preach. Amen. Otherwise, it reduces to moralism. And you don't need grace. Right. Right, right. You just need a good nice example. Just here, say right. no. Yeah. 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 You know what, when I teach seminarians 
or anybody for that matter, but especially future priests. You know, the old adage is to take a text out of context, to use it as a proof text, as a pretext, mm. because context <laughs> is key. Well, I learned that as a Protestant, but I learned that there's a much richer and deeper and broader context. You know, I, I say a three-legged stool is, you know, the most stable and solid. One leg is the Bible itself, the entire scripture. On the other hand is the catechism, the solid teaching of the magisterium. But that central leg is itself the lectionary because it's never haphazard on a Sunday. It's going to be the Old Testament generally and then the gospel fulfilling that. And so the lectionary keeps us sort of from just gravitating toward our favorite passages or the easy texts. There's an even distribution. And the lectionary also contextualizes this in two ways. On the one hand, it's always the old and the new going through Matthew in year A, Mark and B, and Luke and C. But it's also the Eucharist. It's the Mass. And so it's the liturgy of the Word, the liturgy of the Eucharist. This is clearly not an end in itself, but a means to an end. And so you're preaching the very same Jesus that they're about to receive on their tongues, you know. And so that context is the key that will unlock the prayer and the study and the preparation for all that goes into feeding the very people Jesus died yeah, for. Yeah, and I think that's really yes. a powerful point is that too many times we gloss over, or preachers might even gloss over and think, oh, it's just the word and we'll move on. Right, right. And But if you're not prepared then fully uh, to receive at the table of the Lord. I mean, there's so much that goes into preaching. So when you talk about preaching Jesus, what does that look like in practical terms? What is what is preaching Jesus? Well, let's I mean, look at the mass yeah. as, a, as, a, as a jumping off point for that. Yeah. Well, the and look at Jesus's ministry, principally preaching, teaching, and healing, and that was a made up the the core of his of his ministry for his yeah. short ministry of three years. That's right. But practically in the mass, there should be a proclamation, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then there's a demonstration. Somebody said, well, where's the demonstration? Because Jesus preached proclamation, then there was a demonstration of his power to confirm the word of God. Mm. Well, where's the demonstration within the mass? Well, when the priest of God stand behind the altar of God and epiclesis happened, that is, he's asking the Holy Spirit to come down upon the elements of bread and wine, I would say that's a pretty dramatic <laughs> demonstration of the power of yeah, God yeah, right, and that right. bread, those elements are transformed. So we need both. We need the proclamation and the demonstration. The problem is people don't really see that. So we need the preacher to break that open. So I think we have to go back to that elementary preaching so people can realize that something wonderful and powerful is happening here at the table, yes. at the supper. Yes. So, and, and so a lot of my preaching is back to what are we doing here during the at mass? mass? At okay. Mass. Yeah. So okay. I'm, I'm yeah. coming back to this whole element of the Lamb is going to be present here. Yes. And the Word is here to announce what the Lamb has done, is doing, and will do. That is the salvific action of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. you, you just mm -hmm. said something that is so important. It's not just true. The people don't necessarily see it. And so you've got to show it to them. Yeah. You know, yeah. you really have to show them because, you know, I remember hearing when I first became a Catholic three decades ago, you know, when do Catholics ever actually hear the gospel? And when do they ever get challenged to respond? Well, you know, I, I kind of wondered that myself. And then a friend of mine, Tom Howard, pointed out that he had invited an evangelical friend of the Mass. And as they sat through the readings and they stood for the gospel and they heard the gospel preached, then they got up and recited the creed. I believe. Mm. And Tom nudged his friend. He's like, <laughs> I get it. 
I heard the gospel and now I'm challenged to respond, you know? And I've done that over the years with friends of mine as well. But you've got to show people. In America, everything has to be kind of impulsive, you know, informal. And so if there's a formality to it, people are just going to think of it as mechanical until you explain that I'm not just preaching from the gospel. I'm preaching the gospel. You're not just getting up to get your blood circulating. You're getting up to confess your faith not just in a creed, but in Christ. And this is the Christ who we believe in. He is the the Son of the Father. He is the source of the Spirit. And, you know, the Mass is almost too much for us. But that also is why you're putting your finger right on it. The Lamb is about to come to you. So listen up. Well, it really is too much. It's completely... It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. The angels have intuited that because they fall prostrate before this eternal sacrifice. How do we whet the appetite of the congregation for that, for that high drama, this unfolding sacrifice? Uh, I mean, they've, they've got to somehow experience that Jesus is the answer, really, to the question that has become my life. He, this all-consuming presence, he's indispensable to my life. I, I want him. How do you awaken that hunger? And that's the challenge of the preacher. Yeah. Uh, that's why we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. I like to start, and I have been starting by saying, uh, we know that you're busy. We look at the time, particularly get close to Christmas. Hey, I know it's shopping. Did you get the necktie for Uncle Joe, who's going to come over at the last minute? Uh, so I try and point people, let's, let's just forget about where we are. My mind is clear. My eyes are open. My heart is ready to receive. And I ask them, is your mind clear? Yeah. Are your eyes open? Are you ready to receive? Yeah. Let's just let's focus upon what, what's going to happen here. It's mm. fundamental, yeah. but it's very mm. powerful because people uh, uh, remember it. Yeah, Deacon, my mind was open. Well, what did you receive? And also, we can't preach 15 things during a homily. This right. is this, this too much incoming. Yeah. We need to keep it. Well, what's the point? Jesus is the point. And so we're always looking for how can we bring it back to that? And we have an opportunity at the close of our preaching because mm-hmm. we're going to go from the preach word, from the proclamation to the presentation of the Lamb at the altar. Yeah, yeah, in word and deed. Yes. Uh, you know, this is, this is the beauty. And, and I think to, to, too many people look in for that response, you know, Protestants looking in saying, where's that response? I think we need to call it out. I think yes. Catholics don't see it. We don't always make the connections. We have a depth of faith, but it's become background white noise to us. Yeah. And, and preachers can point that out and say, this is what we're doing. This is why we're standing. This is why we're kneeling as following the angels. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there that a preacher can draw us as Catholics into the deeper mystery. Yes. Uh, and you talk about that a lot, uh, the mystery. You know, we, we hear a lot about how well-educated Americans are. And they do have a lot of facts. And so if that's all knowledge is, then they are well-educated. Right. You know, but it's like little kids whose pockets are stuffed full of pennies and nickels. I mean, they might have a lot of money, but they don't have much. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and I think what we have to show them is that there is a wisdom here that goes beyond the facts that you know. Because you know, people don't get tired on Sunday of watching football games. You know, yeah. ESPN is a billion-dollar industry because of that. The internet, likewise. You know, people don't get tired of looking for sales to purchase things. You have to show them that there is no greater competition, no greater victory than what Christ has gained, no greater sale, no bigger bargain than what Christ has gained for us. You know, and and show them not only the density and the richness of the mass, but show them the shallowness and the poverty of what they're spending most of their other time on. You're educated. But you know, you wouldn't take an Indy 500 race car driver and say, "Okay, I want you to practice by driving eight hours a day 
in rush hour. <laughs> no, right. you know, yeah. get yeah. them in that context where they're like, I want to get out on the track. Yeah. You know, I want more, not less, yes. because this isn't just knowledge. This is deep and divine wisdom. And it's going to lead people to prayer. It's going to lead them to study as well. And it's going to bring them back and they might have some friends as well. You and I don't have strong feelings about this. <laughs> You're getting me excited. I feel like preaching, doctor. Yeah, I too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought you had been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, just we're taking a low road for right now. Uh, Marshall, Marshall McLuhan, uh, the great communications uh, guru, famously said that the medium is the message. And I think that is applicable to uh, the preacher. Mm. Uh, the message is Jesus, and he is the medium uh, in which that message is, is inserted, uh, contextualized. And if you don't preach him, then everything else uh, is, is beside the point. Amen. And one thing I would advise preachers not to do is don't compete with late night comic uh, uh, entertainers. You can't pull it off. You're not as funny. And if you're going to tell a story, make sure it's, a, it's, it's sort of a footnote to the real story. Yeah. in the story of salvation. That's rich enough, consuming yeah. enough. Don't try to improve upon that, uh, that basic text. Amen. That's so true. Uh, in the book, you talk about incarnational preaching. Yeah. Um, what is it and why is it so important? Well, incarnational as opposed to informational preaching. <laughs> yes. I mean, and that's not to say anything about teaching because, again, we adhere to uh, the idea that when we preach, we should be teaching. There should be some, some transfer uh, or some giving of the information. But the point is transformation. That's yeah. the point. And also to persuade people of the truth of the gospel of the person of Jesus Christ and his, his salvific action upon the earth. So uh, to, to the incarnational preaching means that the person has a sense of a new beginning. They can have a new life from the preached word. Uh, when uh, uh, St. Augustine heard the preaching of, uh, I can't remember who it Ambrose. was. Ambrose, thank you. Uh, I mean, he obviously, it started his movement toward being, uh, having a new life. It was incarnational, if you would. Of yeah. course, his mother, Monica, praying all of those years, but still, the preached word has a great power. When it's preached in power, yeah. and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So I think we can't get around, we have to come back to, well, is the word preached in power? Mm. We, we're supposed to do that. Of course, the preacher has to dispose himself to a life of holiness and striving for holiness. We never get there, but we certainly work toward it, trying to do that. Then there's a cleaner vessel for the word to come through. But in, incarnational preaching is just that. When the word is preached with power, with apostolic authority and power, it can be incarnational in that it gives a person a sense of there is a possibility of a new life. Yeah. I can turn, I can change, I can get out of the rat race of buying stuff, of, of everything is about me and how much stuff I have. It can be about, wait a minute, I, I, I moved to uh, focus my life in a different way. So is it in a certain sense you're, you're helping by preaching the Word, making the Word flesh, your, yes. your incarnation. You know, this is, this is Christ is now present and He has met them. They, they've now had an encounter with the living God who can transform them. That encounter is key, Michael, yeah, because yeah. I think, un unfortunately, our preaching has to be uh, a part of that initial encounter, even for us in the West here who have a lot of information, a lot of education, but haven't had the encounter. Uh, uh, or a deeper encounter. And then we have to move from there, of course, but we can't, uh, uh, catechesis doesn't necessarily mean that there's an encounter because having information doesn't necessarily mean that. So we need both. Right. We need right. teaching and we need preaching 
under the anointing of God. You know, this gets back to what Pope Paul VI famously said in Article 41 back in 1975 in Evangelii Nunciandi on evangelization in the modern world, that modern people listen more to witnesses mm, than teachers. Yes. Now, you have to teach, but what we end up discovering is that you have to teach the truth that you've experienced, not preach your experience, but bear witness to the truth yes. as you have wrestled with it. But that is more than wrestling with it at the desk. I think when you underscore the incarnational nature of preaching, you also are pointing us to the need for relationships. That is, it really is a spiritual father up there. And so he's got to get invested in the lives of his people. He's got to smell like the sheep, as Pope Francis reminds us, because that's what the, the Lamb of God did. I mean, the shepherd came down and became the Lamb, died for us. and so. We've got to do what Jesus did, what Paul did. We've got to do what Ambrose did in the life of Augustine because it wasn't just the great preaching. It was also the friendship yes. that they had in between Sundays. And it was that sort of spiritual reproduction that really gives to us the incarnational contagion. It makes faith infectious. Amen. 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 Stay with us for the last segment of Franciscan Presents. I think one of the biggest temptations that all preachers deal with is trying to say what I want to say rather than what the Holy Spirit wants to say. I once heard a priest say, you know, it's great when the readings coincide with what I want to preach about. Oh, that hurt. What's really important is first asking, what does the Holy Spirit want me to say about these readings? And if we listen to the Holy Spirit, it's usually a very simple and short message that will touch our audience at the heart. If we've listened to the Holy Spirit, then we are ready to preach. It really is something special here at Franciscan to look out sometimes and see two or three hundred of our young people there waiting upon the Word of God in their lives. And then seeing that come to life after its proclamation and the homily, it's really something that is really kind of a great gift in my life to, as a priest to see the Word coming to them and speaking so readily in their lives. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about preaching, and we're in our final segment, so Regis, could you start us off? Yeah, I'm, I'm always struck by uh, this uh, distinction between Protestants and Catholics. For us, the Word was made flesh. I think the tendency among Protestants is to imagine that it was made paper, uh, and so the book is enshrined uh, at, at the center, at the heart of, uh, of worship. The Word was made flesh and broke that flesh in order to become food, Eucharist. But sometimes paper is pretty uh, impressive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was struck uh, the other day by a little meditation uh, uh, on a piece of paper in Magnificat written by Father Richard Verus. Uh, who's, uh, I think, director of pastoral formation for young men at Dunwoody, St. Joseph's uh, Seminary. And he was preaching uh, to a class of uh, young people about to, about to be confirmed. And they were utterly bored, stony silence and indifference about everything he said. And he said he lamented the fact that so many gospel passages, iconic passages, they are utterly ignorant of. And then something about the radical newness of Jesus Christ broke through when he tried to embellish upon the woman uh, in the aftermath of the act 
of adultery, when everybody wants to stone her. And he puts the question to these kids, what did Jesus say that dispersed the crowd, that reduced them to silence? Nobody knew. And then he told them, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And suddenly this girl in the back of the class exclaims, my God, that's really cool. That's amazing. And then he sort of redoubled her sense of delight and wonderment by what Jesus concluded uh, in that little uh, vignette by telling her, I too will not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And it just blew everybody away. They were thunderstruck. So this capacity for wonder, amazement, is something that I think the preacher has to try to awaken and sharpen and sustain. Don't lose the wonder. Ideas kill wonder. Mm. But amazement, uh, uh, the flesh, the encounter with Jesus uh, can, I think, rekindle that, galvanize it uh, anew. And, and that's what you have to do. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Regis. Scott. You know, the, the church in America has many needs, you know, administratively, catechetically, and so on. But I think a good argument could be made easily and persuasively that the single greatest need is to improve preaching because that would connect people not just to each other, not just to the pastor, the priest, or the deacon, but to Jesus. Not to a book, not to the pages, but to the person who was made flesh and suffered and died for us. And I, I do think that, you know, we can write manuals, uh, we can create programs, we can form new committees, but that's not the way you have great baseball players. You, you, you need to have great coaches. You need to have older siblings who play well. You need to have a, a father who will take you into the backyard or a mother too. You know, and, and I think that kind of spiritual reproduction is what you're doing alongside of the book. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit longs to do in the church, and not just the Catholic Church in America, but worldwide. I think we really are on something of a starvation diet. That, you know, you know, and it's not as though people are like, oh, if only they would preach longer. You know, I think of a Gerber baby bottle, you know, and you can feed them in about four minutes and it's only half empty and they've had enough. And again, this reflects to me the impression that I have that people who think that they're mature are spiritually in their infancy. And so that we need to feed them, we need to nurture them, we need to really encourage them to grow up. And so that's why I'm so grateful that you are out there in the trenches, but also you know, in the ambo and sharing this as well. And I just pray that God would multiply you, that your tribe would increase. <laughs> Thank, you, Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Larry? It's a powerful thing to hear Scott say that preaching is uh, one of the most, if not the most important thing for this moment in the church. We can't evangelize without the preach word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit with apostolic power and authority. I mean, when Jesus uh, began his ministry, the scripture says in Mark, he came up from the Jordan uh, uh, by the power of the Spirit, in the Spirit, and he was preaching. He went into Capernaum, into synagogue there, and began to preach, and everybody was struck by his preaching with authority. It's missing today. Unfortunately, uh, the preaching that we see, and I don't mean to be critical, but the preaching that we're getting now is uh, fairly weak. However, I think there's an opportunity for us to go forward in the power of the Spirit by reemphasizing in our seminaries and uh, formation houses that preaching is real. It's critical to the expansion of the kingdom of God because people will respond to preaching. We don't have forever to do that. 
nobody knows the day of the hour of the Lord's return, not the angels, not the saints, but only the Father in heaven. St. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica that the Lord will come down. He will return uh, with a cry of command, with the sound of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Mm. And then the dead in Christ will be raised. We don't know when that is, so we have to preach now like the Lord could come at any moment That's right. because He can. So there's an urgency in our preaching, but there's also a dependence on God in our preaching with humility. God is calling us as church to be leaders in the world, to reap souls for the kingdom. We do that principally by preaching the Word, inspiring others to get out of the pews, and to also to testify and to preach in their own regard. Mm -hmm. This preaching can only be done by the strength and power of the Holy Spirit and on the anointing of God. Real preaching changes heart. In my travels, Michael, uh, people are hungry for the Word of God. Yeah. They are not tired. They don't look uh, <laughs> uh, 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 like we, don't, we haven't had enough. When there's real preaching that happening, when real preaching is going on, I mean real preaching uh, and according to the preaching that we're called to do under the anointing, uh, empowered by the Spirit, people are not tired. They're energized mm -hmm. and they want more of that. Amen. They want more. They're hungry for the Word of God, the preached Word of God. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for the show. Thank you. Thank you for this book. Uh, thank you for your ministry. Um, as, if you've enjoyed today's topic, we do have a, uh, a handout for you uh, just for asking. Uh, excerpt from uh, uh, the deacon's book here, Preaching Jesus. Um, you can get it at faithandreason.com or just for asking. Uh, we'll send that off to you. Um, when we think about this, this is really at, at the heart of the new evangelization. Uh, you know, Romans uh, 10 says that, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, faith comes from hearing. And we know that we need good preachers. People, men who are convicted, uh, who are called, who are, as, as, as the deacon said, are anointed and have the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, that they need to preach that because lives are at stake. Uh, I think we really need to encourage and support um, uh, those who are ordained, uh, those who are called to this ministry, because it is something so crucial uh, for our day. Um, uh, and remember, as, as a layman, you know, our hearts are restless. Our hearts are longing uh, for this. As St. Augustine says, that, you know, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. This is what we need. Our, our church is longing for good preaching. So please uh, invest yourself hum with humility uh, in preparations for the, the, the great homily that you could offer and really transform people's lives. Um, if, uh, if you could, should know, uh, we want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University's mission, which is to, uh, to educate, to evangelize, and send forth joyful disciples. We want to invite you to be a part of that mission, whether it be coming to Steubenville to take our classes, to be online and be a part of our online programs, to come to our summer conferences with dynamic speakers, to go to our pilgrimages to holy shrines and renew your faith around the world, or go to Faith and Reason uh, to be renewed and equipped for the faith. Uh, Deacon, could you close us uh, with your blessing? So may Almighty God bless us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.